Amen. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God who does reign, and you're an awesome God, a holy God and a perfect God, and we look forward to the day when we'll be around your throne forevermore. Lord, I pray right now as we go to your word, you administer to every single heart that is here. We're desperate for you. We pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Turn your Bibles to Numbers chapter 36. We're going to be finishing up the book of Numbers tonight. It only took us nine months. That's not too bad. All right? Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, right through the whole Bible. I want to encourage you for next Wednesday, be reading ahead. We're going to start. Where do you think we might be next week? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Very good. You guys are catching on, all right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. We're going to be in Deuteronomy. And then on Sunday, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to encourage you to read ahead and, and prepare for that. Whenever you read ahead, you're always going to get blessed because God will minister to you beforehand. So, tonight, the book of Numbers. I'm going to take a few moments again. At, when I begin a book, I always like to do an overview. And when I finish a book, I like to do a review. Just so that, again, when you walk away and you think about the book of Numbers, you really understand what this book is all about. It's context in the Bible itself, why God wrote it, why He gave it to us. Now, as we know that the, the book of Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible, and it's part of what is called the Septuagint, or the Law of Moses. And we know that it's that law that, that revealed the truth to, to God's people and it showed them, what does the law do? It reveals our sin and shows us our need for a Savior. And we began in Genesis with man's fall. And then in, in Exodus we saw them being redeemed out of bondage. Then we get to Leviticus and we see God revealing His holiness and His grace to them. And as they look at the holiness of God and the, His call to be set apart unto Him. And then we come to Numbers and when we started Numbers, if you remember... This is when they're at Mount Sinai. They've been out, out of uh, Egypt for about 13 months. They're encamped at Mount Sinai. And then the Lord gives them clear directions. Remember, we talked about the fact that Numbers is about living a life that counts for God. And He lined them up in a specific way and had them begin to march toward the land of promise. So they've been delivered out of bondage. They've crossed over the Red Sea. We talked about the types, right? Bondage, Egypt being a type of what? The world. Being delivered out of bondage, Passover, a picture of what? The cross. Through the Passover, they were delivered out of bondage, which is a picture of being delivered out of sin. And now, they go through the Red Sea, a picture of what? Baptism. And now they're in the wilderness, and they're headed to the land of promise, and He gave them specific instructions on how to camp. And as we saw in Numbers chapter 2, they were encamped in the shape of what? A cross. So they're encamped in the cross, they're headed to the land of promise, it's an 11-day journey to the promised land, to the place that God has for them, and we know what they do along the way. They began to murmur and complain and doubt God and question God, and, and, and you know, if you've been delivered out of 400 years of bondage, I think it would be a party, not a murmuring and complaining, but three million whiners, we've talked about this, how'd you like to pastor that church, I'm not interested. I want to go shake Moses' hand when I get to heaven. And the amazing part is that he pastors that church and he ministers truth to them. And all the way through, we see them continually doubting God and questioning God and rebelling against God. And God continues to bless them. Because our God is a God of grace and love and mercy. You know what? They cry out. He begins to rain food down from the sky. And, you know, it's manna. And it's, again, that's another picture of Christ because he is the bread of life come down from heaven. And we also saw that as they were heading to the land of promise and they began to murmur against God, that God would discipline them. But every time that He did, He gave them an opportunity to repent. To make sure they understood where they were headed, He put His own Shekinah glory in their presence. 
If you remember that, that they would look up in the morning. When they woke up, the first thing they did was look up to see where the cloud was or to see where the pillar was. So they knew that they had to follow that by day and follow it by night, just as you and I are led by the Holy Spirit. So they're encamped in the cross. They're led by the Spirit. They're headed to the land of promise. They finally get there, and we know what happens. God told them to enter in, and instead they sent spies into the land. Twelve came back. Two gave them a bad report. Or twelve, ten gave a bad report. Two of them said, hey, let's go. God said we got them. Joshua and Caleb said, let's go get them. And we know what happened. They, they listened to the words of men. And that entire generation passed away wandering aimlessly in the wilderness. And throughout that time again, we saw repeated pictures of the Savior. Some of the pictures of, of the Lord that we saw in the text. Number one, if you remember, not only that being encamped in the cross, but remember how where the water came from. Remember when they were thirsting? Not only did He rain bread down, the fact that He is the bread of life, but the water came out of what? A rock. And if you remember, the first time He smote the rock and water came pouring out, and that was God's way of making sure that their thirst was satisfied. And that, that rock is a picture of Jesus, and the water is a picture of the Holy Spirit being poured out of Him upon a thirsty world. We later saw, again, not only the manna, but then we saw the bronze serpent in, in, in chapter 21. If you remember, they were murmuring against God just after He had conquered their enemies, the Canaanites for them. He'd wiped them out, and yet they began to murmur against God, and serpents came into the camp, and they began to bite the people. And when they were bit, they started to die. And there was only one thing that would keep them from dying. They had to look up at the serpent on a brass pole. And we know again, as I've said repeatedly to you guys, that is a picture of the cross. Because the serpent is a picture of sin. And the Bible says of Jesus that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Bronze is always a picture of judgment. Gold is deity. Bronze is judgment. And so we see that just like the bronze laver and the bronze altar are a picture of the judgment, so too we saw them looking up at the bronze pole. And so now that next generation has seen an entire generation pass away. They come back and this time they obey God. And now they're about to enter into the land of promise and we saw them make more, more mistakes. Remember Balaam? talked to Balak, and they sent the Moabite women in, and they fell into idol worship with the women. Again, remember, the Shekinah glory of God is dwelling in their midst, and yet they so quickly turn away to follow the idols. And we can look at them and say, what a bunch of knuckleheads the children of Israel are, right? But isn't that a picture of us? Amen? God's right here. You know what? They didn't have God dwelling in them like we do. We have the Spirit of living God dwelling in us, and yet we will so easily get our eyes off the Lord and put them on the world. And so then lastly, one of the last pictures of, the, of our Savior was last week. Those of you who are here, we saw the cities of refuge. If you remember that from chapter 35, I encourage you to get the tape. Tapes are always free here. We'll never charge for them. Help yourself. But the six cities of refuge, and if you remember what's significant about that, God gave them the land. And remember, two and a half tribes decided they didn't want to cross over the Jordan because the enemies outside of it had already been defeated. It was cheaper to live there, right? Instead of pressing into the kingdom of God, we're just going to stay outside and God let them stay there. We know they missed out on God's highest. Just like many Christians today are satisfied to be delivered out of bondage, but they don't want to press in to what God has for them. Again, the Jordan River being a type of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that. When you want to enter into the promise, you want all that God has for you and not being satisfied to camp outside of God's highest. But we saw that when that happened, that they were ready to press in and they, they took the land and they divided it up. And then he gave land to the Levites, 48 cities, and six of them were cities of refuge. And we talked about this last week, that there was no government back then and there were no policemen. And when somebody was a committed murder or manslaughter, 
What they would do to be judged fairly is they would run quickly to the city of refuge. And we talked about this, how that city of refuge is a type or a picture of Christ. Because the manslayer, the manslaughterer, the person who accidentally killed somebody, there was a somebody who, an avenger, in each family who was then called to go and kill that person. And it's interesting, if you look on a map, those six cities were all in places where you didn't have to cross over a hill or cross a river. They were always nearby. They were always easy to get to. Why is that? Because the Bible says that the word is near you. It is in your mouth. You know what? Salvation is close by. You don't have to climb a mountain. You don't have to swim across a river. You don't have to crawl on your knees to Mecca on broken glass. Amen? Jesus loves you. He died for you. He paid the price. And salvation is near to you. And it's not work. If it was work, it would be a paycheck. But it's a free gift, salvation. Amen? And so that's what happened with these cities of refuge. And what was interesting was that they went to that city, and if they were judged not guilty... As long as they stayed in that city, they were safe. But if they left that city, they could be killed. When were they able to leave the city? When who died? A high priest. High priest being, again, a picture of Jesus. Jesus is our great high priest, seated at the right hand of the Father. So they stayed in the city of refuge till the high priest died. Then they were free. And the same was true for each of us. When our high priest suffered and died that we might have eternal life, we were set free from sin. So that brings us to the last chapter. And this last chapter, chapter 36, is, and this is one of the reasons that the youth is here tonight, is that this chapter talks about God's, about God's highest for marriage. God's plan for marriage. And you might be sitting here saying, I'm 12 years old, I don't care. All right? And you might be sitting here saying, well, I'm already married, so I don't care. Right? I've got the one, I'm stuck. Okay? But I, wa- I want to tell you tonight that there is such an awesome message for every one of us tonight. If you're single, it's a great message for you. If you're a parent with children who are single, this is a great message for you. If you're a grandparent, if you're going to be a parent, right? I want you to really listen to what God's going to show us in this text. We're going to come to this final book, this final chapter, and understand this is his final message as he closes up this book. And it's interesting to me that talking about accountability and talking about living lives ordered before God, talking about making a life count, the last thing he talks about is marriage. He talks about godly marriage, God's perfect plan for marriage. Now, we're living in a time when the entire institution of marriage is under attack. Big time. And, you know, when we first look at this, you might look at it as just a bunch of inheritance laws. But as we dig deeper, we're going to see God's perfect plan for marriage. That it truly is God's plan that it be one man with one woman for a lifetime. Amen? And God has more than that, though. It's not just, okay, I've met a man. Okay, I've met a woman. That's good enough. No, that's not good enough. God has a deeper plan than that. I also want to tell you this. That I think this is another mistake often you hear amongst Christians that we will choose to marry somebody, and as soon as we find out they've been to church a few times, we figure that qualifies. I can't tell you the number of times I do pre-marriage counseling, and they'll say, oh, I met the guy, I've been, well, that's the guy, it's the guy. Really? Yeah, you know, is he he walking with the Lord? Well, you know, he's been to to the church down the street like five times, so uh, that's good, right? He says he believes there's a God. Can I tell you right now, what are you looking for, girls, women, Amen. And we're going to talk about a little bit more about it, but you want a man who loves God more than you do. You want a man who can be the spiritual leader in your household. 
And we're going to see that here as we're looking at these inheritance laws that God has so much more. Not just, oh, well, he's a good-looking guy and he's got a nice car and a good job and he went to church once, right? No, that's not it. And guys with the women, the same is true. Don't look and say, well, man, she's fine, right? I'll, I'll bring her to church, right? No missionary dating either, amen? The person God has for you will be sold out for Jesus Christ. So we're going to see that in the text tonight. As he's talking to them about the inheritance, he's talking to them how to keep that inheritance, how to keep God's highest for your life, and what you can do to miss out on it. And I want to encourage you, if you're single here tonight, I don't want you to miss out on God's highest. Don't make the mistake of thinking that because somebody happens to be nearby right now that God doesn't have something better for you. Amen? You want God's highest and nothing less. Amen? And for your children, you want God's highest and nothing less. And we're going to see again, as you look at these inheritance laws, you might have read the text and think, Pastor Dave, you're outside of your mind. Where do you see that in this text, right? Well, I remember I doing Numbers 33, and you're like, what is, I had people come to me before church. I read the chapter. There's no way you're going to find anything in there, right? Great chapter. Get the tape. Good stuff. Amen? But everything is in the Bible for a reason. Every word, every letter, every space between every letter. And so we're going to see again that the key to marriage and that as born-again believers that God has a plan for us in marriage. And God's plan is even greater again than you're just marrying somebody who's saved. The Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, but we're going to talk about what that means. So God's plan for marriage, verse 1 through 4, we're going to see the potential loss of God's gift of inheritance or experiencing less than God has for you. You know what? You ask somebody, who got married for the wrong reasons. And again, if you're, married, if you're here tonight and you're married to an unbeliever, you stay there and you be a Christ-like example and you lead them to Christ by the way you live your life. Amen? You're married, that's it. You stay. And you, and you be salt and light in that home. And God will do great and awesome things. You be a prayer warrior. You win them over by the love you have for the Lord and the love you have for them. But if you're not married yet, you do not want anything less than God's highest and you want someone who loves the Lord with all their heart. And so we're going to see that we can miss out on God's highest by simply accepting what's in front of us instead of waiting for what God has for us. Then we're going to see, verses 5 through 9, God's plan that they might experience all that God had promised them. And then lastly, the blessing of responding in obedience. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at God's plan for marriage. The potential loss of inheritance, experiencing less than God has for you. Look at verse 1. Now the chief fathers of the families of the children of Gilead, the son of Mature, the son of Manasseh, of the families of the sons of Joseph, came near and spoke before Moses, before the leaders, the chief fathers of the children of Israel. So the leaders come, these are the fathers, I want you dads to pay attention, that these fathers come before Moses and the high priest and the elders, and they say to them, you know what, we have a concern. Now they don't murmur, they don't whine, they don't say it's not fair, they bring it to the Lord. Amen? Dads, Follow this example. Things are rough in your house, tough something's going difficult in your home. Get on your knees, take it to the Lord, and then you know what? Invite your family to come with you to get on your knees and bring it before the Lord. And these guys come in, and they come near and spoke before Moses and before the leaders. Now Manasseh, if you remember this, is half of the tribe of Joseph. Remember when we went through the 12 tribes, that one of the tribes did not get an inheritance. Which one was it? Which one? Levites. Why? Because they're the what tribe? The priestly tribe. And because they were priests, their inheritance was the Lord and nothing in the land. Their cities were spread out. We talked about why last week, remember? Their cities were spread out throughout all 12 tribes. Why? Because God had called them to be ministers. 
And you don't take all the ministry people and put them in one building. Amen? God spreads us out all over the place. You work where you work because God wants you there to be salt and light. We all worked in the same building. A lot of Santa Cruz would never get touched. If you're the only Christian in your office, then praise God, God's got you there for a reason. Amen? Billy Graham's not coming to your office anytime soon, so it's up to you, right? Start sharing your faith. So we see here that these two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, are, are come in. So Joseph has two of the twelve tribes, and this one tribe, Manasseh. Remember earlier, we're going to see this, that there was a, a father who died, and when he died, he didn't have any sons. And because he didn't have any sons, all the inheritance was going to fall away from his family. Look at verse 2. And they said, The Lord commanded my Lord Moses to give the land as an inheritance by lot to the children of Israel. So that's true. The Lord had told him to give the land by inheritance, right? And the larger the tribe, they got a larger amount of land. The smaller the tribe, they got a smaller amount of land. And then he said, to, By lot, and my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance of our brother Zelophehad to his daughters. Now, if you were here when I taught Numbers 27, these young girls show up before Moses and they say, Moses, our father has died and we don't have any brothers. And because we don't have any brothers and, the, and all the inheritance goes down to the sons, then we will receive nothing and we will be left out completely. And so they come to Moses to plead their case. And they came respectively, you know, seeking godly counsel. Well, now... We see their fathers coming of their very tribe saying, well, that's going to cause a problem. And they don't, again, whine. They don't complain. They don't say it's not fair. They bring it to the Lord. So God had given a specific lot of inheritance to Manasseh, but then he said the daughters had a portion of that lot. Now, it doesn't sound like that's going to be a problem, but it's going to be a problem. We'll see why in just a second. And so they're coming before the Lord to say, they've given part of it. They come to Moses. Part of it was given to the daughters and we're going to have a problem. Why? Look at verse 3. Now, if they are married to any of the sons of the other tribes of the children of Israel, then their inheritance will be taken from the inheritance of our fathers, and it will be added to the inheritance of the tribe in which they marry, so it will be taken from the lot of our inheritance. So what they're saying is, if, if we, if our sisters, these young women, if they're married to somebody else, then they're going to take their inheritance away and our inheritance that was given to us by God will be less than what it's supposed to be. And so they come before them with this heart. And so God had told them, if a father has no sons, then it goes to the daughters. Now I want you to hear, understand something. When people say, and you've heard me say this, when people say that Christianity somehow suppresses women, I want you to know that nothing has been more liberalizing for women in the planet than Christianity. Nothing. You go around the world and you see countries where the gospel's been preached and women have freedom, and you go to countries that are Muslim or, or Hindu or anything else, and the women walk around covered up and they have no rights. And understand that when he gave them these rights all the way back here in Numbers, this was culturally revolutionary. What are you talking about? The women back then were treated like possessions, and he says, you know what, they have an inheritance. And they're just as valuable in my eyes as men are. In Genesis chapter 3, he says there is neither male nor female. Our Savior is an equal opportunity Savior. Amen? He does, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart, and He loves us all. Now understand that God has a different calling for men and women. God's called a man to be the spiritual leader in his home, and his wife is to submit to him as unto the Lord. But that doesn't mean that the woman is less. 
It means she has a different calling, amen? And God views that calling just as high as the calling of the husband. And so he turns and he gives his freedom to them, and it's a blessing. And they're, man, our God is good. And again, it's so different than what the world would have done. But these men come, and now they've got a problem. Now, sometimes we look at the Word of God, and sometimes we'll think, oh, there's a contradiction. Because he said, give it to the women, but the, that lot is supposed to remain with Manasseh. I mean, this is one of the most favored tribes. They've been faithful to God. Joseph was a faithful man of God. These are his descendants. Does it make sense that we'd be taking away their inheritance? You might say, he gave it to them, and now he's given it to the women, and if they get married... This doesn't seem right. There's a contradiction here. Can I tell you the Bible never contradicts itself? We might contradict our understanding because we're thick. Amen? And we just don't understand God's Word. But God is always faithful. His Word is always right. By the way, science doesn't prove the Bible. The Bible proves science. Amen? Archaeology doesn't prove the Bible, although it does. But Bible proves archaeology. People dig up bones and they, oh, the Bible was right again. The Bible's always right. Scientists keep changing their mind. The Bible's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And so we, we look at this, and it seems like a contradiction, but it's not a contradiction. It's God's plan. Now watch God's plan here. And I love this because the man comes, and he says, you know, our property's going to be diminished. Our land's going to be reduced. And look at verse 4. And when the jubilee of the children of Israel comes, then their inheritance will be added to the inheritance of the tribe which they marry, so the inheritance will be taken away from the inheritance of the tribe of our fathers. Now the year of jubilee was every 50 years when all debts were canceled. And what happened was all property went back to the original person who owned it. Now, I love that because the year of Jubilee, again, it points to, you know, the, the closeness or the nearness. They were always measuring everything by the year of Jubilee. Everything. When you bought a piece of property, all you wanted to know was how many years before Jubilee. Because if it was a year before Jubilee, you didn't pay much for it. Because you're only going to have it for a year and it's going to go back. We're all just renting, right? That's what was happening then. But it could be 49 years. But you know what? We too ought to be looking for Jubilee. And the realization how close we are to our Savior coming back. And how not important the stuff of this world really is in comparison to that. And so we see here, he says, when Jubilee comes, all the land goes back to the original owner, and the women are going to take it with them, and it will belong to them forever. So how can this be that you want them to be married, you've given them this land, but you've given it to us, this seems like a conflict. It's not a conflict. It's God's plan. And we're going to see how God's plans are always perfect. And something happening in your life that you don't understand. Know that God is faithful, and He's in control, and He knows what He's doing. So God's plan was that they might experience all that God had promised them. Look at verse 5. Then Moses commanded the children of Israel, according to Moses' opinion. Is that what it says? No. According to the word of the Lord. By the way, isn't that where we always go for counsel? Psalm 1 says, walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. You don't need Pastor Dave's opinion. You need to know what the Bible says. Amen? When I counsel you guys, I just take you to... You have a qu Here's what it says in the Bible. Amen? Read the book, don't wait for the movie. You want to spend time in God's Word. Because it's the thing that opens our eyes. And so he turns to them, and they're saying, there's a conflict here, there's a contradiction. I don't understand. So how does he answer them? God's Word. The same place we should take people. It says, according to the Word of the Lord, saying, what the tribe of the sons of Joseph seeks is right. Okay, now this doesn't make any sense. They're saying that they can't take it with them, and he's saying, yeah, they can't take it with them. But wait a minute, back in chapter 27, it said, we want to make sure these women are taken care of. So how does all this make sense? How will the, all this work together? Look at verses 6 through 9. Please, please pay attention. This is what the Lord commanded concerning the daughters of Zelophehad, saying, let them marry whom they think best, but 
they may marry only within the family of their father's tribe. So the inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands from tribe to tribe. For every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. And every daughter who possesses an inheritance in any tribe of the children of Israel shall be the wife of one of the family of her father's tribe, so that the children of Israel may possess the inheritance of his fathers. Thus, no inheritance shall change hands from one tribe to another, but every tribe of the children of Israel shall keep its own inheritance. The women were to marry within their father's tribe. So what does this mean? It's not good enough just to marry a child of Israel. It wasn't good enough just to marry somebody who was headed in the same direction. God's plan was that they would marry His highest somebody from their own tribe. And my interpretation of that is that God wants you to marry somebody who's where you are spiritually. God wants you to marry somebody who has a passion and a heart for God the way you do. God doesn't want you, ladies, marrying a guy that you've got to drag to church on Sunday. Amen? He wants you to marry a guy who's going to be waking you up early to pray with you in the morning before you go to work. Amen? And you know what? God has that guy for you if you will wait upon him. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. That's what the Bible says. You delight in Him, you fall in love with Him, and He'll give you what you desire. And He'll make your desire. He'll make His desire your desire. So the final issue on making life count in dealing with order and organization and discipline and direction and responsibility and accountability was getting them as they went in to have a deeper walk, to have that spirit-filled life. And the key was to be careful who you marry. If you don't, you're going to lose ground and what God has for you will be diminished. If you marry less than God's highest, you will lose ground in your walk with the Lord, and what God has for you will be diminished. If these women left, it would diminish the tribe of Manasseh, and it would remove God's highest from them. And if you go out and you just get, you know, i got to be married, and this one's here. He's standing here. I'm, you know, I'm not getting any younger. He's here. I'm, I'm taking it, okay? And you know what? I can tell you, I've done counseling with people, that it's just like that. Well, you know, I'm, uh, you know I'm, I'm, not any young, I'm not getting any younger, so he's here. You know what? That's not our God. Amen? He is your heavenly Father. Does your dad want what's less than his highest for you? Absolutely not. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment, about us as parents. So he tell, it says in 2 Corinthians, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What common has light with darkness? It says, Come out from among them and be ye separate. In Amos it says, How can two walk together unless two be agreed? When you ignore this command, you bring heartache, loss, you miss out on God's highest. Now, again, you're already married. You say, well, Pastor Dave, that's great. You should have told me this 12 years ago before I met this knucklehead, right? No, I'm kidding. I'm already married, now what? Can I encourage you with something? As a parent, as a grandparent, preach what I just shared with you to your children with certainty and authority. You know what? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I'll tell you right now, I pray every single day for my children's spouses. And I've been praying since before they were born. The example for that is Noah. Noah was told by God to make an ark. And do you know he made, four, he made rooms for his three sons and their wives, and he started building before he had any kids. God desires that we would pray 
that we would get on our knees, that we would seek His face, and we would say, Lord, I want for my children, one from the tribe that You have called them to be, of that person that You have for them, and nothing less than that. It's extremely dangerous and, politi- and, and potentially disastrous when we make this less than what it needs to be. This is a non-negotiable, you guys. Non-negotiable. It's like playing on the freeway. Do I let my kids do that? No. Why? Potential harm. To let them juggle knives? Not anytime soon, right? But you know what? Letting them hang out or date an unbeliever is worse than juggling knives while walking down the freeway. Amen? I mean, it's the biggest mistake you can possibly make. Why? Because you're going to marry somebody you spend time with. And you know what? My kids sometimes have a hard time with their dad, and that's okay. I told my daughter when she started high school, I love you enough to have you be mad at me for the next four years. It's okay. But you know what? I pray for my children, and I pray for their spouses. And regardless of what they might think or you might think, I can't wait to meet them. I really can't. I'm looking forward to meeting my three daughter-in-laws, if the Lord tarries, and my son-in-law. I can't wait to meet them. But I'll tell you what I'm looking for. I don't care how much money they make. I don't care how good-looking they are. I don't care how sharply they dress or what kind of degrees they have after their name. I just want people who love Jesus. That's all I want. If if my kids marry people who love Jesus, I'm going to be the happiest dad around. You know what? My number one prayer is for my children's salvation, and my number two prayer is for their spouses. Can I encourage you, if you're not doing it already, start praying for your children's spouses. If your kid's six months old, you're six months late, get started. Amen? I want to encourage you, start praying. Why? Because marriage can be the closest thing to heaven or the closest thing to hell. God talks about marriage in the Bible more than he talks about the church. Did you know that? It's a picture of Christ and the church. It's not to be taken lightly. And if we as their parents take it lightly, if we as their parents say, yeah, whatever, hang out with whoever you want, date if you want, do what you want, then what we're doing is we're putting him in a position to fail. I want nothing less than God's highest for my kids. And we should all be praying over and over again. People putting themselves into tough situations because they close their ears and refuse to hear the counsel of God. I hope the kids in the back are listening. I want to say this. Marriage without Christ, you'll be trapped, you'll be hurt, it'll be painful, your children will be harmed, and in the end you'll be heartbroken. Why? Because marriage without Christ is no marriage at all. It's not a marriage. It's a legal contract. What fellowship does light have with darkness. Someone who doesn't know Christ, the Bible describes them as being dead in their trespasses and sins. You've heard me say it before. It'd be like marrying a corpse. What do you got in common with someone in a, you know, in a refrigerator box down at the morgue? Hopefully not much, right? Amen? Can you imagine dragging that person into your living room? Here's my prom date. That's what you used to say when I was a youth pastor. But here's the reality. We need to, you know, can you imagine put him out in a tux? There it is. Hey, what do you think? He's dead. What are you doing, right? The same should be true that we should seek after those who love the Lord with their whole heart. Because what happens when we compromise, our walk is diminished, we lose ground, we lose part of that inheritance that we have, we have less. You know what? I can't even, you know, I think about, again, my children getting married, and I think about my grandchildren, I think about what kind of homes they're going to grow up in. I think, man, it's so key that my kids marry godly people. It is so key. Again, I, Compared to what, I don't really, you know what, and I, it's dangerous when I say this because people get upset at me. I really don't care what my kids do for a living. I really don't care how good their grades are. I, do, your, do it as unto the Lord. I want you to try hard, but you know what? If you love Jesus with your whole heart and you're digging ditches and you've got a godly wife, God bless you and I'm, st- I'm a happiest dad around. Amen? 
And too often we think, well, my child is real successful. Why? Well, he's got a bunch of degrees, he's making a bunch of money. He's not walking with God, though. That's not success. Amen? That's a disaster. And that's eternity in the balance. And he's saying here, look, you need to marry somebody within your own tribe. One of the things I used to ask, I still do all the time, when people come in for pre-marriage counseling, one of the first questions I ask is, what do you find attractive in him? What do you find attractive in her? And you know what? If it's only physical, you've missed it. You've missed it. Because that's Aaron love. Aaron is where we get the word erotic. It's a selfish, selfish, physically based love. And it's better word for it would be lust. A lot of people come and they want to get married real quick. I say, you guys aren't in love, you're in heat. Okay, slow down, right? <laughs> it's, it's Aaron love where you're saying, you're saying, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? You know, she's pretty fine. And you don't even care about the spiritual aspect. And you've been drawn by that. And what I used to tell the youth group, and girls listen to this, is what you use for bait will determine what you catch. You walk around with your midriff showing and, you know trying to wear the tightest clothes you can, I wonder what kind of guy you're going to catch. All he cares about is, is my body. Well, duh, what'd you catch him with, right? The reality is, if you want a godly woman, or a godly woman, be a godly man. If you want a godly man, be a godly woman, amen? Because a godly man will be attracted to Jesus in you. And a godly woman will be attracted to Jesus in you, guys. You'll be in love with the Lord, and they'll see Jesus in you, and they'll say, oh, that's attractive to me. Oh, I like that. And you know what? It breaks my heart to see what's happening even in Christian homes today, to see the way kids dress, and it just breaks my heart. Because why? That's not honoring to the Lord. Again, Pastor Dave's opinion, but I think the only person that ever should see your stomach is your husband. And you know what, girl, women, if you had the mind of a guy for five minutes, you would dress different. <laughs> Guys, is that not true or what? Yeah. Amen? All right. What you use for bait will determine what you catch. You use your body, you're going to catch a guy that's after your body. Guys, you use money, you're going to find a woman that's after your money. You want a godly woman, be a godly man. You want a godly man, be a godly woman. You can tell, you, can, you know this is in my heart here. Okay, don't say I'll lead him to the Lord, no missionary dating. Now notice again, it doesn't just say go marry a believer, but it says marry somebody from your own tribe. Why? Because God's desire is that you have someone who is strong in their faith. Someone who loves God. You know, my prayer constantly for my kids is, Lord, bring my daughter a man who is so on fire for you that he can lead her and minister to her and be the spiritual leader in his home and be a godly dad to my grandkids one day. That's what I want. And again, I don't care what he does for a living. I don't care how much money. Irrelevant to me. I'd, I would love, I'd love for my, my daughter to marry a guy who has a heart for ministry, but I want God to do that. And it says there that they choose who they marry, but they must marry someone within the tribe. And the same, my prayer is the same for my boys. I want them to have a godly woman who will be a helpmate to them, be an encouragement to them, that will be like-minded in their walk with the Lord. And you know what? I pray for that every day. You know what? My, if the Lord tarries, my son-in-law and my three daughter-in-laws are walking around somewhere on this planet right now, and I'm praying for them every day. And you know what's interesting about that is my mom, I learned this from my mom, my mom prayed for my wife every day from the time I was a little boy. And when she met my wife, my wife was 22 years old, and she looked at her and said, I've been praying for you since you were born. And my, my wife was born in a home filled with unbelievers, and do you know the only person probably praying for her on this planet were my parents? That's a fact. What an awesome thing when I meet my, my son-in-law and I meet my daughter-in-laws to know I can say, I've been praying for you since you were a little boy. 
I've been praying for you. I've been praying for your protection. I've been praying for your walk with the Lord. I've been praying for your heart for God. I've been praying for that. And so sometimes my kids struggle with me because they don't understand why dad won't let them go out, you know, guy, girl things. I just, I just don't have it. Now that's my pastor Dave's opinion. You, that's up to you. You do whatever you feel called to do. But I just don't want to put them in that environment. I just don't want to. And I know it seems hard-nosed and, man, Pastor Dave, lighten up, that kind of thing. But you know what? My kids are so precious to me, I don't want anything less than God's highest. And I don't want to put them in any environment that's going to stumble them. I just don't want to do it because I love them. Lord, help my kids to choose wisely, I pray. Lord, help my kids to be drawn to those who, that perfect person that you have for them. And then I pray for that person wherever they might be. I pray for those three little girls wherever they are. I say, Lord, just, you know, protect them, watch over them, draw them nearer to you. Lord, I pray for my son-in-law wherever he is. Father God, may you have your hand upon that young man. And Lord, I pray that when temptation comes, you'd help him to sway away from it. I pray, Lord, you'd help him to wait for my daughter. You help him to be a man of God who waits for my daughter. Help my daughter to wait for him. I pray the same thing for my boys. And I'll tell you what, I promise you it'll change the way you view dating and you view everything your kids do you start praying like this. It'll change everything. Because you don't want less than God's highest. Again, not just a guy who goes to church, not just somebody that believes in God, but somebody that is truly sold out for the Lord. And by the way, when God brought Eve to Adam, He caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam. Amen? He didn't hand him a bow and arrow. Hunter down, right? I mean, too often, that's what we think we're supposed to do as guys. I've got to go get me a wife. Time to go hunting, right? That's not what God did. He caused a deep sleep to fall over Adam, and he brought him his wife. Because no striving, no hunting, amen? Waiting, trusting, seeking God's face. He'll bring the woman to you in his perfect timing. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He loves you. He knows what's best for you. Trust him, amen? Don't strive. Don't try to knock walls down. Don't try to make things happen. And again, I want a godly man for my daughter who will be a spiritual leader in her home, who will love her with agape love, who will be a godly dad to my grandchildren. And you know what? When I walk down the aisle with my daughter's hand in my hand, it's going to be the hardest day of my life, but when I do that, <laughs> when I do that and I take his hand, her hand out of my hand and I put it in his, I want to say from this, from, from date of birth until now, I've been the spiritual leader in your, in your life. And you know what? I'm giving it over to this young man, and I know he's called to be that guy. I don't want any less than that. And I want the same thing for my boys. That's my heart. And you know what? I believe that's God's highest. And you know, we need to pray for that. Are our kids surrounded with everything else in the world that tries to get their attention and distract them and make them think it's all about how you look and how you attract people and how popular you are? We need to be praying with fervency. Amen? We need to preach it diligently and pray it fervently. We need to tell, tell your kids. Tell them when they're five years old. You know what? God has a man for you. God has a woman for you. And we're going to pray for her right now. We're going to pray for him right now, wherever he is, whatever he's doing. We're going to pray for him. God has given me the privilege, again, of being the spiritual leader in my home, but I look forward to that day when I put my daughter's hand in his hand. I want him to be a man who is sold out for Jesus, and the same with the the little girls or the young women at that time for my boys. Last, three ver- or last four verses. Just as the Lord commanded Moses, now look at this, so did the daughters of Zelophehad. So the girls responded in obedience to the Lord's command. They not only heard it, they did it. Amen? It's not enough to know what the Word says. It's not enough to hear what the Word says. But we must respond in obedience to what the Word says. Amen? Just like at Passover, 
They could, they could bring the lamb into the house. They could even slaughter the lamb. But if they didn't take the blood and apply it to the door in the shape of the cross, then death came. And the same is true of God's word. We can read it, we can hear it, we can study it, but we must apply it. Amen? We must walk in obedience to it. We must not just say, oh, well, that sounds good. But no, now we have to take a step. And look what the daughters did here. It says, just as the Lord commanded, so did the daughters of Zelophehad. Praise the Lord. What an awesome thing. They respond in obedience to the word of God. They obeyed and the inheritance remained. Verse 11. From Mala, Tirza, Hogla. I tried, Hogla Bjorkman, I think that sounds really good. <laughs> Bill and Michelle just aren't going for it. Milka and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, were married to the sons of their father's brothers. So they were married to the men that God called them to be married to. What a joy. What a blessing. What a, what a thrill that is. Verse 12. They were married into the family of the children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained in the tribe of their father's family. Again, they heard it. They were taught it. So these fathers, what did they do? These fathers went and got it from Moses, right? He gave them the word and said, here's what you need to tell them. They went back and told the daughters, didn't they? They had to have because they responded in obedience to it. They went back and said, okay, Here's what we've been told. Moses told us the word of the Lord. Here's what you're to do. And the girl said, okay. I know for some of you kids in the back, it's hard for you to believe that your parents want what's best for you, but we really do. Amen? And sometimes you think that we're, oh, but you know, dad's just old. He just doesn't get it. Mom just doesn't get it. You know what? We love you more than anybody else on this planet outside of our Savior. Amen? And we love you so much. You need to learn to trust that we know what's best for you. Trust us. These fathers went and told the girls. The girls said, okay, dad. Okay, fathers. Okay, leaders. Okay, spiritual leaders in our life. Okay, heads of our tribe. We're going to listen to what you say, and we're going to obey it. And you know what? God blessed it. You know what? Praise the Lord. And don't be afraid to step up because you're afraid that your kids might not respond the way you want them to. You know what? Our kids have enough friends. They need some parents. Amen? Amen? Now, I'm a friend of my kids. I love my kids. I love hanging out with my kids. I love spending time with my kids. But you know what? More than me being their friend, I'm their dad. And God's called me to be the spiritual leader. And God's called me to discipline them when necessary. And God's called me to give them direction for their life and to say no, even when they don't like it sometimes. Those who the Lord loves, He what? He disciplines. He disciplines us because He loves us. And those who we love, we too ought to discipline and lead them in God's highest. So, in closing, God's plan for marriage. May we not strive in the flesh or settle for less than God's highest. May we seek God first, His kingdom and His righteousness, knowing that in His timing, all these things will be added to us. Pray for our kids and their future spouses. Be an example of Christ in your marriage. You know what? Not only share with them what they should be looking for in marriage, but you be that in front of them. You know what? Men, it's hard, but you, we should be living such a way that our daughters ought to be able to look at us and say, okay, that's what a godly husband looks like. Women, you're sons and your daughters ought to be able to look at you and say that's what a godly mom looks like that's what a godly wife looks like okay i know what i'm looking for i know what i'm looking for i've seen it in my house I've, i know what a godly marriage is supposed to look like because i've seen it in my home verse 13 says these are the commandments and the judgments which the lord commanded the children of israel by the hand of moses in the plains of moab by jordan across from jericho you know what he's saying here everything that we've read in numbers is from the lord and if it's in the bible it's in there for a reason. 
And you know what? Everything that we see in God's Word has application for our life today. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, speaking of the book of Numbers, it says, all was done as an example for us. Everything that we saw them go through is an example that we can learn by. Can I encourage you that, was Numbers an awesome book or what? Amen? It rocks. And you know what? Too often it's a book that people would avoid. Oh, Numbers? You've got to be kidding me. I remember we had a visitor one time. And they came in and we told them we were in Numbers. They almost left. You know what I mean? It was like, what? Numbers? Is that in the Bible? Yeah, it's in the Bible. And it's good stuff. And you know what? We're going to start Deuteronomy next week. How many of you have ever gone through verse by verse through Deuteronomy before? Raise your hand. A few of you. Praise God. Well, guess what? We're going to do it again. And just like Leviticus was a blessing, just like Numbers was a blessing, Deuteronomy is going to be awesome. And God has so much He wants to teach us because faith comes by hearing and hearing by... Word of God. That's what transforms our lives. And, and praise the Lord that all of it's there for instruction. So can I encourage you? Start praying for your kids. Start praying for your grandkids. If the Lord tarries, if the Lord tarries, Lord, wherever my, wherever my, my son-in-laws are, my daughters-in-law are, Lord, I pray for them. Pray for your own kids and pray for them. You know what? Maybe you're praying, some of you are praying for my kids and I'm praying for yours and we don't even know and we'll find out later. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, that you're such a great and an awesome God. And we do, Lord, lift up our children to you. Father, we dedicate their lives to you. May they grow up to love and serve and honor you with their whole hearts. And Father, we pray for their spouses, wherever they might be, Lord, right now. Lord, you know. You're an awesome God. You know exactly where they are and exactly what they're doing. Lord, I pray your hands would be upon each one of them. And Father, I pray that, that Lord, uh, our children would wait for your highest and Lord, I pray for us as parents that we would direct and lead them in your path and in your way. Lord, I pray for the single folks that are here tonight. Lord, and I know that at times you can be, they can be lonely and there's times when you might even, they might even feel like they're never going to be married. But Father, I pray in Jesus' name that tonight you would give them the peace that surpasses all understanding. Not the peace that comes from understanding, but the peace that surpasses, even if it doesn't make sense. But Lord, just to trust and say, Lord, I'm going to wait for your highest. Lord, I'm not going to hunt. Lord, I'm not going to use my body as bait. But Lord, I'm just going to love you and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to pray. And Lord, I trust that in your time, perfect timing, you will bring the person to me that you have for me. Lord, I pray for every single person here, Lord, that you would strengthen them and bless them and encourage them to know, Lord, that you're with them during this time, Lord. And, and Father, I look forward to just seeing you bring their mates in your perfect timing. So Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for the book of Numbers. We thank you that though it was written thousands of years ago, it still applies to every room, every life in this room tonight. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand and close the worship.